and turn with me to Psalms 133. Genesis 13 and Acts chapter 15. It doesn't take very long sitting in front of your television that you get, I say, I, I can't speak for you, but I get real disturbed because I don't sense a lot of unity in our land. And not only top of that, I think sometimes that carries over in the church, the way we handle ourselves, the way we do things, the way we handle our business. And I want you to know that you and I are accountable for the way we treat people, for the way we act. And uh, I don't know anybody to take you to to. Some men, now some of you could double this up and you're saying you're preaching at me. Well, I hope I preach at you every Sunday. But I don't know who I'm preaching to or who I'm not preaching to because I actually just listen to the Lord and I study and and then I come and share with you what he shared with me. So if you want to personalize this, maybe you need to. I don't know. But I do know that the men of God that we think that were men who we say, you know what, Paul was a, he was, he was high on my list. You know, uh, Abraham, man, he's high on my list. The psalmist and those who write, the, man, they're, they're high on my list. Well, if they are, then you hopefully will take this as they present it. In Psalms 133, It says, how wonderful it is, verse 1, how pleasant when brothers live together in harmony. Now, I I can tell you, if you watch any type of news, it doesn't matter whether you, to me, whether you watch the conservative side or the the liberal side. Now, I get irritated on the liberal side, but somebody asked me the other day, how come you don't spend more time in politics? I, I don't know if anybody knows anything anymore. Uh, of what's going on. Now, I've been a conservative all my life, and I'll, I'll, I'll say that, and, and I vote conservative, and, and, but I'm not going to impose on you who, who you need to vote for, but if you're a conservative and you believe in the conservative stand, then that's who you need to stand for, but, but the key here is harmony. The key is unity. The key is loving one another and quit trying to straighten everybody out to the terms, especially when it comes to if we don't agree the way you do or you don't agree the way I do. He says, for harmony is as precious as the fragrant of anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony, verse 3, is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon. Lord of mercy, does there not need to be some unification today? It just seems like everywhere we turn, turn, we're seeing fingers of division. So that kind of led me to the thought, I believe united we stand and divided we'll fall. I, I believe with all my heart, That when it comes to Satan, his objective is to defeat the church of Satan. Can he do that? He can if we let him wherever we are. 
And the way he does it is one member at a time. He'll pick on you, solo you, take you off, and wear you out. But in strength and numbers together, collectively as a group, in unity of Jesus, I believe we can stand. No matter if we're a small church, Solid Rock used to be 14 strong. Or we're a large group. It doesn't matter as long as we place our basis and our unity in Jesus. Satan's method is always deception. His motive is always division. And his mission is destruction. He wants to deceive us so that he can divide us and then ultimately destroy us. And he really does not care about you. And and he doesn't care about Jesus. Matter of fact, he did all he could in Matthew 4 trying to tempt him to where you and I couldn't have ever been saved if Jesus had a cave. Paul t- or Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, 18, Now I say unto you, thou art Peter, and upon this rock. The word rock there is the Greek word Petra, P-E-T-R-A. When you refer to Peter, it's Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. What's that mean? Little rock. Peter was a little rock. Petra was Jesus. He's not only the big rock, he's the foundation of which the church is being built. I want you to look at something because you've got to understand that things have not always been well with some patriarchs. Look at Genesis chapter 13. We know the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that Abraham was given the promise of descendants that were so numerable that you couldn't count them as grains of sand. But yet, look what goes on between Abraham and Lot. Beginning with verse 7. So an argument broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land. Then Abram talked it over with Lot. He said, this arguing between the herdsmen is not good. It needs to stop. After all, we're close relatives, Lot. We love one another. He said, I'll tell you what we need to do. Take your choice of any section of land you want, and we'll separate. If you want that area over there, then I'll stay here. If you want that area in another place, I'll move to another place. And and you saw the heart of Lot when he pitched his tent toward where? His heart was in an evil city. And it doesn't take long that... And, and I don't care who you are today and what your name is, how old you are, whatever. If you want to know what you really believe and you really want to know what's in your heart, all you got to do is let people see the way you live. Turn to Acts chapter 15. Now, Paul was my hero. And he had all kind of terrible things in the past. He killed Christians. 
mutilated, tried to do in the church. And then on the Damascus road, he was blinded. And the Bible says God spoke to him. And God had a fresh encounter with with Saul then, now Paul, as we know him. And he woke him up to the reality of truth. Now, these are godly men that we're talking about. We're not talking about lost people here, but listen to this story. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return to each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new works, the new churches, the new believers are getting along. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. He said, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not shared in their work, their disagreement over this was so sharp that it separated even Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and the believers sent them off and entrusting them to the Lord's grace. So they traveled throughout Syria and Sicilia to strengthen the churches there. In, in the New Living Translation, in the version I have, it has some interesting words at the bottom, a commentary, and I want to read those to you. We never finish growing spiritually or get to a point where we're not prone to human weakness that can hurt our relationships. The fact is, demonstrated between the conflict between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. Paul did not want to work with John Mark after he abandoned them on the first missionary journey. This resulted in a sharp disagreement and a split between Paul and Barnabas. Even as mature men of faith, Paul and Barnabas had to deal with a willing with a conflict, and they had to. And they went on and says, "We know from Paul's letters that all three later reconciled due to, in part, Barnabas, and as they got together as godly men, and pulled it back together in a conflict. But when this happens, we must be careful to respond in a way that furthers God's kingdom." You say, well, what, is it, what does it mean? It means in Jesus, we either stand united or we divided and fall. You see, I believe the, the key is Psalms 133. Now, the Bible makes it clear what our real mission is, and, and without the mission of the gospel, you and I have no reason for existence. I mean, if we're not going to share Jesus with the lost, if we're not going to share Jesus with those that don't know him, then what is our real purpose as believers? There is none. Yeah, we can learn the Bible, and we should. As Tony Evans said today, you can learn the Bible. You can quote it from Genesis to the book of Revelation, but it'll do you no good if all you do is have knowledge and you don't understand why Jesus came. Jesus said, love the Lord God with all my, your heart, soul, and mind. And what else did he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if we don't love one another, you might as well throw your Bible away. You know, some of you, maybe you were brought up with parents that 
If you didn't do what they wanted you to do, they got mad at you and shut the door and wouldn't let you back in. Evidently, that's happened to a few of them. Well, I just want you to know that's not a true definition of love. Now, I do believe in tough love, and Damascus Road has taught me that. That there are times when there, there does need a stand to be taken, and, uh, and uh, you can't enable anybody out of addiction. It won't happen. I don't care how much you love somebody. But too often, I'm not so sure we're like porcupine believers. You say, what is that? Well, what's a porcupine? Well, on a porcupine that's full grown, there's 30,000 quills on his back. Now, there might be give or take one or two. But when a porcupine drives that quill in you into the enemy, the body of heat, the victim that causes the quill to expand, becomes more firmly embedded in the wound. Poison, poison is shared from a porcupine. Now, porcupines are not regarded as lovable, huggable animals. Scientific word for porcupine is literally the, the uh, irritable back syndrome. It describes the porcupine to a key. You say, what does that mean? Well, porcupine, porcupines, or have, <laughs> porcupines, after you say that several times, I, it don't sound right. They, ha- they, they respond to people two ways. One, they withdraw, or two, they attack. And that, you say, well, am I a porcupine believer? I don't know. Do you withdraw? And if you don't get your way, do you attack? Isn't it amazing that we've got a pack, we've got words that like refer to a pack of wolves and a school of fish and a flock of sheep and, and a gaggle of geese and a herd of cows and a colony of ants. But, you know, when it comes to porcupines, what do you call it? You don't say a group of porcupines. The reason you don't, because porcupines are solitary animals. They either withdraw in their rules of relationship or they attack. Well, now for 40-something years, now in the ministry, I've noticed that about 9 out of 10, as I deal with people in the church... It's not primarily, primarily theological or doctrinal that causes problems. It's relational. When it comes to dealing with other people in the body of Christ, too often what we do, we either withdraw or we attack. God's cure for porcupine churches is unity. Listen, the gospel is the heart of the church. And unity is the glue. The gospel makes us right with God, and unity keeps us right with one another. Unity in what? Not human personalities. Unity in Jesus. If we are cross-fired and wired and twisted over Jesus, you're walking and living in the flesh. Now, I grant you that I'm a part of this church because God called me to start it. And I guess when he gets through with me, I'll hopefully know it. 
And, and it would be so cool, not for you, but for me, if I was standing up here preaching and all of a sudden just had a massive heart attack and die. Now, that wouldn't be cool for you, but it sure would be for me. I don't want to linger. I don't want to lay around and suffer if I had the choice, but I don't. God demands and commands for you and I to be in unity around the gospel. Romans 14, 19 says, So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. That's all a part of it. We're not to tear one another down. We're to build one another up. Unity means oneness of heart, similarity of purpose. We are to be united around the love of Jesus and the love for one another. Well, what does all that mean? What does Psalm 133 really mean to us? I believe, first of all, it means that there's a beauty of sticking together. Now, I didn't get married to divorce. I didn't do that. And I look at my wife, but I know there's been times that she's looked at me and I've looked at her and I go, well, if we don't get this straight now, we ain't going to make it. Because she ain't looking at me right and I ain't looking at her right. So that meant one of us, at least, wasn't right. Cindy said, yeah, that's right. You wasn't right. When it comes to the King James Version of verse 1, it says the word behold. What does that mean? It's a word in the Hebrew language that means stop, look, and listen. Now, sometimes we'll stop and we look, but we ain't good listeners. We're not really listening. In our Bible study this morning, Moses had blown it, man. He was a murderer. He'd blown it for 40 years, and now he's on the backside of the desert herding old stinking sheep. And he went by the mountain of God, and all of a sudden God said, Moses, Moses. Well, first of all, you would have had to clean my adult diaper if I heard something like that. He spoke to him. Moses turned and said, what, Lord? Ladies and gentlemen, I believe what's absent in many people's lives is you're not hearing from Yahweh God. You're not hearing from Jehovah. You're listening to what you want, what somebody else is leading you to believe. Be careful because you ought to stop and you ought to look. And you ought to listen. Jesus said in John 17, I do not pray for these alone, the disciples, but for those who will believe in me. That's us through the word. Jesus prayed that we would be one in him. The literal translation in 133, Psalms 133 sounds like this. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren or believers to dwell together even as one. In who? In him. There's not one of you in here has the same genetic makeup. 
Not one of us was created the same. You don't think the same. Oftentimes we don't process things the same way. But the Bible tells us that our unity doesn't come in our genetics. It comes in the Holy Spirit in us. And if you have the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, if you are one walking in him, then you have the ability to walk in unity in him. I believe disharmony, disunity grieves the heart of God. It not only grieves him, but it quenches the Holy Spirit. And I just don't believe disunity will ever grow anything. We need to be together. Not divided. Dwight L. Moody said, I've never known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Jesus goes on to say in John 17, 22, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and he loved them as you have loved me. And then we look at our world. Good, not a lie. Politics, our national scene, philosophical views, theological division, but God is glorified, magnified, satisfied when his children are unified in the midst of all this turmoil. I might add, the turmoil is not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. It's not told, but it is prophesied that this world before Jesus comes, whether it's a Western mind or what, theologically, this world is going to be in a mess. Remember, when our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Franklin stood and said, Gentlemen, now we must all hang together, or surely we shall all hang separately. If Satan can pull you off to your side or pull you off in your thinking, and it's just your thinking now, he can mess you up. Second of all, we see in verse 2 the basis of staying together. Somebody well said, coming together is a beginning, but keeping together is a progress, and working together is a success. On what basis do you believe that we should be together? I think there's two or three. One is the lordship of, of, of Jesus, the lordship of Christ. The Bible in Psalms 133 refers to believers, to the brethren. Who is that? That is those who have actually been born again. The father has become their father. They are considered a son and daughter. Therefore, they are a part of the family of God. And if you and I choose to do everything apart from the sonship, apart from you and I being under submission of lordship, you're going to get in some extremely amount of trouble. Actually, Paul says you're going to follow your flesh. And flesh don't take you anywhere too far or very successfully. He says, second of all, in Psalms 133, that 
We're to bring together in life, the life of God's Spirit. Verse 2, he talks about the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard in the beard of Aaron. What does the oil refer to? It refers to the Holy Spirit. And you want to know where unity comes? It won't come in your ability to keep it together. It comes in the ability of you and I exercising and relying on the Holy Spirit to lead us. You say, Mike, I stay confused. I stay upset. I stay frustrated all the time. It seems like I'm in the midst of trouble all the time. Well, understand trouble comes because that is your, an opportunity for you to do what God wants you to do and take a stand. But all too often, if we're led by the flesh, it will eliminate us. And then second of all, or thirdly, he tells us that leadership is important. The leaders of God's servants. You know, there's several reasons why churches end up bickering and fussing and fighting, and I've seen that through the years. Number one, they don't want to follow leadership. But we'll answer before Jesus when we don't follow the leader. But then there's a second thing that goes on too, and that's when leaders won't lead. Pastors, yes, there's professionals that love the pay. They love the fact that they don't have to work by the sweat of their brow. They can... Being hopefully in an air-conditioned building, don't be too hard on them because if I cut the air off, most, most of you'd make your way out of here. You wouldn't listen to me if it's hot in here. Don't, do, don't, don't be too rough on individuals like that. But you see, leadership is important. And leaders need to lead. They need to be they need to be concise. I don't, you know, I, they need to know where they're heading. And if we don't know where we're heading, and there's been times that I've struggled at that, I said, whoops, stop. And I had to retreat. And when I retreated, I went and I said, okay, God, I can't lead the people if you don't show me the way. And that's very important. You moms and dads, how are you going to lead your kids if you don't know the way? If you're struggling or you're confused, I know this weekend, as I looked at our foot, my football team, we're struggling. But when it comes to whether you win or lose, if the halfback thinks they ought to be in a huddle or run and play, and the tight end thinks, oh, no, you need to pass this play. You need to pass it to me. The quarterback still has on him the responsibility of making the decision to follow whatever the coach says. It's important. It's important that I listen to my coach and not look at the people. I need to follow Jesus. And then Jesus, in turn, tells me to play and leads me. And, but if people don't follow... What good would it have been if Moses went and led all those people out of, of, of Egypt if they hadn't followed? Moses been going by himself. There was a professor in an Ivy League school that heard about a dinosaur alive in the rainforest of South America. So he launched a scientific expedition to find out if the story was true or not. 
After several weeks, he stumbled upon a little man wearing a loincloth standing near a 300-foot-long dinosaur. The scientist couldn't believe his eyes. He said, did you kill that dinosaur? Or, or he said, yes, sir. He said, where? In the rainforest. He said, did, how did, he said, how did you kill it? He said, with my club. How many clubs do you have? He said, we got about 400 club members. He didn't kill it all by itself. And listen to me. There's some of you thinking you can whip this issue or whoop this decision you've got to make or you can make it all and you don't need anybody. Oh, yes, you do too. You need the, you need the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You need spirit-filled people around you. Tony Evans today said, if you want to be where a fresh encounter of God, you've got to be around people who are having fresh encounters. And you've got to be able to hear God. Thirdly is the blessing of serving together. He said, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion... What is the dew? What is dew? No, it's not Mountain Dew. It's not alcohol. It's not, it's not white lightning. Dew is what fell in the earlier days, and, and we see it now on the crops. They had what is called dry farming because they didn't have a lot of rain. And when the people looked upon the dew and saw the dew, Bringing substance to the crops. That crops meant money. It meant clothing on their back. It meant a lot of different things. And when God would send the blue, the dew, they would just praise him for that to happen. Let's face it. Some of you need the dew following you. You're dry. You're dusty. You need that fresh encounter. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.10, let there be real harmony so there won't be divisions in the church. And I plead to you, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I got to say it again because it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite verses. I, I wish I could have it embedded on the walls, Matthew 16, 18. Peter, upon this rock, the rock of Jesus, Petra, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not prevail against it. You see, the church is not a building. It's not the pews. It's not this pulpit. It's us. A man went out one time deep sea fishing. Now, I know the feeling because that's one of the few things I still enjoy in life. Not deep, deep. I like the flats. I like the rivers and the creeks. I like the three-foot stuff. Somebody said, well, I took a grandchild one time and said, Lord of mercy, what happens if he fell off the boat? He just has to stand up. <laughs> Nothing hard about that. You know, I'm three foot of water. Well, he caught this tremendous fish. But in the process of fighting the fish, he fell overboard. The captain didn't fret. The man said, I can't swim. Save me. 
So he reached down and grabbed the man's arm, and he went to pull it up, and the arm came off. Man didn't tell him he didn't have one arm. Had an artificial arm. Well, he, the man didn't help him a bit. He's kicking and splashing and drowning and trying to get help. And so he reached down and grabbed his leg. Didn't tell him it was a wooden leg. Pulled his leg off. So, again, captain didn't panic. He reached down, grabbed him by the hair of the head, went to snatch and had a toupee on. Pulled his hair off. By then, the captain was concerned. He looked at that man, and he said, Look, man, if you're not going to stick together, I can't save you. You know what? If you and I are not going to come together, if we're not going to work together, if we're not going to stay together, then God can't help us. He can't help us. I'm going to preach a message on this, and I don't even know why I'm supposed to bring this up. But Jesus did not take the 12 disciples and lead them by the hand, which one, who the Bible says, who was Judas, was a traitor. Everywhere Jesus went, he got in trouble. Everywhere he walked, He was falling under criticism. You want to know why? When he went home with Matthew to tell him about the coming Messiah, tell him about Jesus, do you know what happened to Jesus? They began to criticize him. You want to know why? Because Jesus was eaten with sinners. Everywhere Jesus went, he said, you need to go and study that passage. And I'm I'm quoting Jesus. And find out what that really means because he said, if you're healthy, you don't need a doctor. I didn't come to elevate the healthy. I came to help the sick. All around us, my friend. Sick people. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means they're consumed by the world. And you and I, we have to stand together, arm to arm, that what they need is the gospel. What they need to see is your love, not your frustration. Not your inability to know what to do. They need to see Jesus solidly with a smile on your face, with love in your heart. They need to see that. Because the world gives all the other stuff. With your head bowed and your eye closed, Father.